take refuge in the Lord. We need everyone to dig deeper, to lay the foundation so that we can stand tall for the Lord. All right, good morning. Good morning. I was impressed with those guys. Where's, where's the justices? Where's Ju Jim or Julie? Where are you at? Aren't you proud of your grandsons? And I was impressed with them, but I was really impressed with Scarlett, able to do all those motions and not drop her teddy bear. Yeah, that is talent. Last service, we had a family here for the very first time, first time they had ever come, and one of their girls got up with our kids and performed. Uh, she said, I don't need practice. We know this. <clears throat> well, thanks for being here today. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I have fought some bugs over the last few days. Anybody had the bug? Yeah, just got to let it take its course and <clears throat> go through you, huh? I am glad you're here. This is the, the last Sunday of the year, and I think so far we've finished pretty strong. I mean, Karen's new kicks really helped too. How, how'd you like those? <clears throat> I gave her a little extra bounce. Strong worship set this morning. I'm going to try not to let drop the ball, you know, on my part. <clears throat> but this is the fifth, not only the last Sunday, but the 53rd Sunday. You know, there are 53 Sundays this year. That's unusual, but we have 53 Sundays this year. So uh, this is the last one of the year. And you're here <clears throat> carving out some time in your day on New Year's Eve. 2023 to be in the Lord's house. What better place to be? Amen. <clears throat> so thanks for being here. And because it's the last Sunday of the month and it is a family Sunday, it's also what we've been calling this year Foundations Sunday. Foundations is the theme of our year and it is it has been our attempt and we're going to continue this through 2024. It's been our attempt to plant seeds and <clears throat> in some places drive uh, stakes, putting down a stake of truth into the hearts and minds of our young people, <clears throat> our students, and even our adults about what's true, about what the Bible says. Because whether you realize it or not, I don't think any of you don't realize it. I think you do realize it, but I just want to highlight it. We're under attack. Biblical values Christianity, traditional faith, is under attack in our world. And it's been under attack, and I don't look for it to let up anytime soon. There are people who just object to the basic claims of Christianity. <clears throat> Did you know this? And this is becoming more and more uh, mainstream to reject them. And therefore, those of us who believe in the Bible who believe in traditional conservative values are being marginalized. We're being pushed out to the sides. And if we don't get a little boldness, get a little braver, <clears throat> if we don't get some preparation, then uh, the, the country that we're going to hand to our children and grandchildren is not going to look anything like it does right now. I'm not saying it's not going to look like it did when I was growing up or when some of us were growing up <clears throat> because it already doesn't look like that, does it? It's not even going to look what it looks like right now unless we get bold 
unless we get prepared, unless we dig deeper. So uh, these, these um, uh, our culture, I won't say these people, but you know they are represented by people, but our culture, and it's not just American culture, it's all over the world, they protest things about what's true. They protest the very existence of God and his creative nature. He created everything. They would rather say that something came from nothing. And I want to tell you, that takes more faith to believe than it takes to believe that there was a God who created everything. And I hope you believe that. If you don't, then just prove how something comes from nothing, how, uh, how the world happened the way it did. You know, the, 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 the claim that we, we started with chaos and came to order is hard to believe. That never happens. Things don't start in chaos and turn by themselves to order. Things start with order and turn to chaos. I mean, the human body, your yard, your garden, your car, your house, everything in your life proves that to be true. But some people protest that God, who is order, created what we have today. They protest the divinity of Jesus, including his resurrection from the dead, the special nature of man, including the biblically defined boundaries of human gender and sexuality. They question the integrity and the validity of the Bible, the certainty of miracles, the reality of heaven and hell, and so much more. <clears throat> so what we're trying to do here at Gateway and every church, I hope, is doing this, but we're making an intentional effort to, to teach these truths. We're not just teaching the great old stories of the Bible. Those are being taught, but we're also being intentional about teaching our children the answers to their faith, why we believe what we believe, and we call this foundations, and that's what we've been doing. And so we've covered all these topics that I've talked about, but today we're going to talk about the gospel, and we're going to say that the gospel is for everyone. You know, there are people who say the gospel is a crutch. The gospel is, uh, you know, it's an outdated, manipulative message uh, that religious people are using in order to make people do what they want them to do. And uh, I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to defend your faith. If you're a believer, if you're not a believer, I understand you, you wouldn't have, but maybe you're on the other side of that argument, asking someone to defend their faith. I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to defend your faith. In other words, to say why you believe what you believe. Why do you go to church? Why do you read your Bible? Why do you pray? Why do you believe there's a God? Why do you believe in Jesus? On and on and on. And I don't know if you will have that opportunity, but I think you will in days to come if you live long enough. And I want you to be ready. <clears throat> I want you to be ready. As a pastor, as a preacher, as a church, we want you to be ready to share the gospel, defend your faith in the marketplace of culture and the marketplace of ideas, including atheism, agnosticism, and all the other isms that fight back and push back against Christianity. So our sermon text today is the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8. Book of Acts is a kind of a historical book about what happened 
when after Jesus left the earth? <clears throat> what happened? How did the apostles put his plan into effect? So it's the acts of the apostles. Some people call it the acts of the Holy Spirit because the Spirit is so prevalent here. Remember, Jesus said, I'm going to go, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to leave someone with you. I'm going to leave you the comforter, the Spirit, the walk alongside her, and that's the Holy Spirit. And so the book of Acts is full of a lot of great stories where the Holy Spirit is at work. <clears throat> Let's read this one story in Acts chapter 8. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. <clears throat> so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. <clears throat> as they were traveling, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way? Of my being baptized and he gave orders to stop the chariot then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him when they came up out of the water the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again but went on his way rejoicing <clears throat> two preachers an older one and a younger one were out to lunch one day at a pretty nice restaurant and they noticed after getting settled in that there was a table not far from them that had a, a large group of men, several men that were very well dressed. They were in suits and ties. The preachers even noticed there were some cufflinks on a few of them, shiny shoes, everything was to the hilt. They were drinking wine and enjoying a nice lunch. And the younger preacher looked at the older preacher and said, what do we have to offer them what can the gospel do for them and you know i think there is this understanding or there is this belief rather that when it comes to the gospel and your life it only applies to you if you are morally destitute if you are financially bankrupt if you're emotionally distraught then the gospel matters. But if your life is good, if everything's rolling with you, if your bank account's fine, if you're enjoying all the best of life and you don't really have any great pressing needs in your life, then the gospel really isn't for you. I think there's that view. And the idea of our world is, is the same, that sometimes we think 
or at least the world does, that the gospel, that Christian faith, is, uh, is a crutch. It's only a crutch for the weak or the helpless or the sick. The, the Christian faith is not for everybody. It's only for those who really uh, are down and out and can't help themselves. Dr. Kenneth uh, Pargaman of Bowling Green State University says that historically in our culture, religion was largely looked upon as an immature response to difficult times. You know, when Shakespeare wrote his great work, The Tempest, when the sailors thought the boat was going down, he has them all shouting, all is lost to prayers, to prayers, all is lost, turn to prayers. And the idea there is that you don't pray until your ship is sinking. And while prayer is a good thing to do when your ship is sinking, we know that prayer is so much more than a 911 call, right? Prayer, prayer is not just an emergency last-ditch effort to get some help. Prayer is a, is a daily thing. It's, a, it's an hourly thing. It's a moment-by-moment moment thing. The Bible says pray without ceasing. So it's not that now, hey, God, it's me again. I'm in trouble again. Will you hear my prayer? No, it's, uh, it's like you talking to you know, to him just like another person. When I was a kid, I thought his name was Andy. You know, Andy walks with me. Andy talks with me. Andy tells me I am his own. Is that song so old that some of you don't even remember it? And that's, we know that's what prayer is. Now, no doubt there are great stories of people who come to Christ from out of the gutter. And the greatest, the most dramatic rescue stories are those uh, people who are in the gutter and they turn to Christ. And there have been some real famous ones, uh, you know, in, in my lifetime, and I'm, I'm sure there are a ton more. But I remember uh, Chuck Colson. Some of you are old enough to remember Charles Colson, who worked in the, uh, the uh, Nixon administration, got caught up in the deception and the, um, you know, the lying of that day, and he spent time in prison. Remember this? And uh, he, you know, he, he was a well-to-do man who decided to do the wrong thing, and he paid the price for it. And while he was there, he came to a personal encounter with Jesus Christ and became a Christian and decided when he got out, he was going to do something about all those men who were in prison who never got to hear the gospel. And so he became known largely for his prison ministry. And he was a famous man. Another, another one that uh, I admire and unfortunately I like him on both sides of his testimony is Johnny Cash. Anybody remember Johnny Cash? That man could sing, couldn't he? <clears throat> or as they say down in Mercer County, they, he could sing. He could sing. And I keep a, a double a, a CD set in my vehicle to listen to him when I travel. But I want to tell you something. His career led him straight into the gutter, didn't it? He lost his family. He lost his reputation. He lost a lot. He got addicted to drugs and alcohol and whatever he could do because that lifestyle encouraged it. But somewhere, thank God, along the way, he turned his life back over to Jesus. He turned it over to Christ and, and, uh, and had a testimony to share. 
Now, I don't know about you. Maybe that's your testimony. Maybe you're, you were in the gutter. Maybe you were uh, addicted and, and, and you're, you've turned your life around. We have a whole ministry here, a recovery ministry, where guys are trying to turn their life around. I was talking to one. I just met one for the first time on, uh, on Friday uh, out here in their main lobby. He was setting up for an event I think some of you might have enjoyed yesterday. <clears throat> and, uh, and, and I said, hey, I, I don't recognize you. He said, yeah, uh, my name's Mike, and um, uh, I've, I've only been here since yesterday. I said, well... Brother, I know you've uh, taken some wrong turns in your life. And we talked about his journey. But he's given it over to Jesus, and hopefully he'll stick the program out and he'll be fine. Now, my testimony isn't one that would make a magazine. It wouldn't make Guidepost magazine. It wouldn't make uh, the interest column of any newspaper. I grew up in a pretty, pretty uh, middle-class home. I, my, my parents, I remember when we were, were, were poor, we didn't know it, but I remember when we had to set buckets out to catch the water as it dripped through our roof. I remember having to share a little uh, a section about that big of an oil furnace that put the heat out because that was the only place in the uh, house that was warm, and we used to lay there with our feet at the furnace. But I was a pretty good kid, to be honest with you. I'm not bragging. I'm just saying I didn't get pulled into drugs or alcohol. I was an athlete. I grew up in a, a good home with a good family. And we went to my grandparents every Sunday after church and ate a Sunday meal. And I had aunts and uncles and cousins. And going to church was, a, was just the thing we did. <clears throat> I sat through Sunday morning. Uh, I sat through Sunday school and then Sunday morning and then Sunday night, two hours on Sunday night, youth group and then church and then another hour on Wednesday night. That was five hours a week. That could kill a kid today. <laughs> I mean, seriously, they, they, they could shrivel up. It's like, uh, what is going on here? I mean, church, five hours a week. And there are some things that I'm not proud of in my past, some things I wouldn't even want to share with you here. But all in all, I was not a bad kid. I tried red man chewing tobacco one time when I was out with my cousins and I didn't realize it was going to drip down my throat and I got sick as a dog and never, never touched that stuff again. The smell of it makes me sick. And, uh, you know, I could go on with my testimony, but it would just bore you. It would bore you. I went to uh, uh, the University of Florida my first year of college, but have a, had a tugging on my heart to go into the ministry and eventually did that, and it, it landed me where I am today. And again, I'm not perfect, and I'm ashamed of some things I've done, but I was a pretty good person. My testimony is not a rescue testimony. It's not an out-of-the-gutter testimony. Some of you have that, and that's good. You should share it. You should really uh, use it to help other people who are in the gutter. But what about those of us who are pretty good? You know, I, I know none are righteous, none are good, but those of us who really were never down and out, we were never in the gutter, we were never addicted. What about us? Is the gospel, is the gospel for us as well? And I want to say today that uh, I think it is. But you know, if you, had, if you had a neighbor and you called the news and you said, hey, my neighbor is quite a neighbor. I mean, he, uh, he practices good fire prevention. His, he changes his batteries on his smoke alarms every, twice a year, every time the time changes. 
What are we going to do when we, they do away with daylight savings time? He, uh, he teaches his kids how to get out of the house, and my neighbor has never had a fire. Well, the news would say, duh, what, so what? They, they don't like that kind of story, but if your neighbor's house burned down, the news would be there, wouldn't they? They'd be there saying, what happened here? Whose fault was this? And we, by nature, we kind of like the bad news. We talked about this last week, if you were here, about this, this tendency within us to, to want bad news. And we really like to hear a good news to bad news story. You know, he used to be this way, but now he's a sex offender. Or she used to be this, but she got onto drugs. And, and I'm not saying we, we, we like it, but our, something in us kind of piques our curiosity. And we're like... Oh, wow, you know, how could that happen? And so we search out after that. But what the Bible likes is a bad news to good news story. The, the, Bible, likes a, uh, the Bible likes a Peter who denied the Lord three times and yet stuck his foot in his mouth and preaches the, the first gospel message. The Bible likes a, a Saul of Tarsus who is persecuting Christians, who's chasing them down uh, yet meets the Lord on the road to Damascus and turns his life over to Jesus and becomes the, the, the premier gospel writer or the, uh, the writer of the New Testament. The, we like those. The Bible likes those because those are the, the bad news to good news. You know, the prodigal son who got out of the pig pen and came home. And so I think today the Ethiopian eunuch story is the perfect story to remind us of the fact that the gospel is for everyone. Let's look at this man real quickly. First of all, I want you to see that he's an influential man. <clears throat> now, when you hear the word eunuch, you might, you might know a little bit about him. In ancient times, a eunuch was a, a man who uh, was serving in uh, the courtroom, or the, the not the courtroom, but the, the royal courtroom, and there was a queen and there might have been princesses. And so in order to keep him from being a threat to those women, they would uh, surgically, um, I'm, 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 I'd look for a nice clean word here, surgically vasectomize him. That sounds bad though, doesn't it? And us guys would say it was. <laughs> and so he, he wasn't a threat. But some New Testament scholars say that that wasn't always the case, that some uh, weren't vasectomized. They were simply uh, in, a, in this position in the courtroom around a lot of the royal women. Jesus said this. He said, there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom. So I think what Jesus is saying there, some, some people are born into a family that serves the royal house. Some people are enslaved, captured and enslaved and taken to serve in the royal house. And some people choose to live this way because it's their personal choice to live this way as a eunuch, as someone who doesn't engage in um, sexual relationships. <clears throat> so whatever the case for this particular man, he was an impressive man because he was the CFO of the court 
of the queen of Ethiopia. And Ethiopia in the first century was a rising empire. It became a major empire down three, like three countries down into uh, the African continent. And it bordered the uh, Red Sea and it was a passageway to India and large part of the Middle East. And so this would have been a very influential place. He held the purse strings for that. Secondly, he appears to be a religious man. We can imply from our text that he was Jewish. Not only had he traveled all the way from Ethiopia, the hundreds of miles to Jerusalem to worship, but he had a copy of the scroll of Isaiah with him. I don't know what you read when you're traveling. What do you read? Do you read bad news stories? Maybe you read the Bible. Maybe there's some Bible time in your journey, and that's a good thing. He was reading the scroll of Isaiah, so we know he was a religious man. He had decided somehow that all the religions of Africa, polytheistic, many gods, and all the religions of the world were inferior to the religion of Judaism. Probably he was influenced by the uh, Jews that were scattered all over the world when the uh, Babylonian king and the Assyrian king uh, destroyed Jerusalem and they ran for their lives. And uh, like the wise men we talked about for the last four weeks, they had copies of the scripture. And so this man had decided to become a proselyte Jew. And he was set on going to Jerusalem to worship in the temple. And so that leads me to the third thing that I think I want to say about him. And that is that he was a searching man. Not only had he been on a search for the right religion, but he was searching for, for um, explanation and uh, understanding of the scripture that he was reading. Probably on a pit stop before they hit the, the real desert, before heading back into Ethiopia and the African continent. They were in a shade place. Maybe some in the caravan were relieving themselves. They might have been drinking water or eating their lunch or whatever the case was. They were there, and Philip got the call and said, hey, I want you to go and stand near this chariot so you can see what this guy's doing. And that's what <clears throat> Philip did. And uh, Philip asked him a question, and I think this was the question that changed his life. He said, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian replied, how can I unless someone explains it to me? And it turns out the man was reading from Isaiah chapter 53, verses 7 and 8. Probably, I think, a Greek translation of the Old Testament. That would have been more likely than him reading a Hebrew. It was probably a, a Greek translation, an Isaiah scroll of the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Because the text doesn't line up just perfectly with the Old Testament that you and I have. But it's, uh, you know, it's very, very close. He was reading, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Now we know what this verse is about. We know it's about Jesus. It's a messianic prophecy, like a lot of the prophecies of Isaiah and other parts of the Old Testament. It was all pointing to one man, to Jesus. We know that because we're on this side of it, but he didn't know that. Philip knew that. He believed that, but the Ethiopian eunuch had no clue who he was, the prophet was talking about. And so look at verse 34. I, I like this verse. <clears throat> this is my favorite verse of this story. Luke writes, then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. You know, we got to start where people are. 
Wherever they are, that's where we got to be ready to start. Wherever the point of their need is, that's where we got to be ready to start. We can't start where we want to start. We can't, we can't say, no, 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 let me, let me control this conversation. Now, maybe at some point we can, we can kind of control it a little bit to suit the gospel message, but we need to start where they are where their point of curiosity is. And so Philip said, okay, if it's Isaiah, it's Isaiah. Let's start there. And I want to tell you about Jesus. Notice that, the, that Luke doesn't say that P, uh, Philip started with this message and told the man about the urgent need to respond. He didn't tell the man about uh, the need to be baptized. He, the Bible just says he preached Jesus to him. I love that. He just preached Jesus to him. He told him how Jesus was born in Bethlehem of a virgin, how he grew up in favor with God and man, how he became an adult and and began to teach and gathered 12 men around him to be his disciples and how he he lived uh, three years teaching and and living and uh, was an incredible life of, of miracles and teaching and healing and all these things. And for all that, what did it get him? It got him 12 devoted followers, but it also got him unjustly arrested and tried and crucified. But that wasn't the end of the story, Philip said. He said, this this man right here that Isaiah's talking about was this man. And probably this man had heard a story in the synagogue while he was up there worshiping. Maybe the buzz was still, was still buzzing about Jesus. The news cycle hadn't ended about this man that had been crucified who was a great leader and had many followers. And then the rumors were that he rose again from the dead. And so Philip told this whole story. He told this whole story of Jesus. That's all he shared. That's what he said. And then the Bible says in verse 36, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? So somewhere in the preaching of Jesus, somewhere in the story of the message of the gospel, Philip said, here's how you respond. Here's how you respond. And it's pretty important. Maybe you shouldn't wait until you get back home. Maybe you should do it today. It's, a, it's, the, it's the way we respond to the lordship of Christ. It's not a theological question. It's a lordship question. It's a lordship question. Philip didn't say anything that we know about baptism, but he he did. And so uh, the eunuch said, let's do this. And so verse 37 is omitted out of your Bible. Most Bibles, unless maybe you have the King James, because it appears to be a late edition. And it doesn't matter if it was in there or it's not in there. Just because it's late doesn't mean it wasn't in there, but it statistically might not have been in there. It's kind of like the end of Mark's gospel. In Mark 6, it's like John chapter 8, some of those stories. It's like some other places in the Bible that there's a footnote in your Bible that says this was not in the earliest manuscripts. But let's read it. When the eunuch said, here's water, what stops me? He said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. The eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And whether they were in the original or not doesn't really change the story. They got out of the chariot, went down into the water. 
Philip baptized him and came up. And, and so this story, I think, serves to show that the gospel is for everyone. And you might have people in your life that say, that you think, oh, you know, they don't really need anything. They're well off. They're well to do. They don't really need anything. How can I share the gospel with them? You may have people that are a whole lot like you. They work out with you. They recreate with you. They do things with you. But you're like, oh, yeah, they, they, they're not in any great need. They've never asked for a prayer. They've never asked for help. So why would they need the gospel? And I want to tell you something. The gospel story is the only thing, the only thing that may help them understand that they need Jesus. The gospel is the story of Jesus. And you might share it and they might say, well, thanks, but no thanks. But at least share it. So we've been in this foundations thing and it's really about apologetics is what it is in a formal sense because Peter says, in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. And the word translated answer here is the word apologia in Greek, which is the word for, we get our word apology, is when you give an apology, you say, you know, I'm sorry, but I was you know, thinking this or thinking that. Really, you shouldn't have any buts in there, right? But in a legal, formal kind of way, an apology is giving a defense. Here's why I did what I did. That's what he's talking about here, behavior. Here's why I go to church. Here's why I give part of my income, my resources to charity. Here's why I read my Bible. Here's why I don't cuss. Here's why I won't watch that kind of a movie. Here's why. And you give a reason for your behavior. It's a reason for your belief, why you believe, what you believe. And what the church has been short on over the last 50 years is that. We've been teaching the stories, and that's good, but we need to teach kids why they believe, what they believe, because we're losing them. Seven out of 10 leave the church when they get out of church and go to college. Seven out of 10 can be swayed to atheism or agnosticism in the first semester of college. An atheist professor can take your kid's mind and make it mush. And everything you taught them in church and Sunday school and youth group can just be swept away. And they'll think, oh, that's just a big lie. That's just, that's just a fairy tale. And so if you can teach them why they believe what they believe and give them some solid proof, then I think they'll be better equipped to hang in there and I think the church in 20 years or 50 years will be led by some very well-informed, solidly committed, today young people, but then Christian leaders. And I want to tell you something, folks. Churches are closing their doors every single year because of these issues. So what do we do? How can we combine apologetics with evangelism? Real quickly, pray for one. Pray for one. This is our number one evangelistic, personal evangelistic strategy. <clears throat> People say, well, you know, how do you do evangelism in your church? How, how do you do that? Here's our number one personal evangelism strategy. Another one is we partner with elementary schools. Every campus, every gateway campus partners with an elementary school or more in its community. 
But here's the personal one. Here's the one for you to do. Pray for one. Pray for one. Pray for someone who, who needs the Lord. Ask God to give you the name of someone. Maybe it's someone you're married to. Maybe it's someone in your family. Maybe it's someone you work with or someone you, uh, you, you work out with. But pray for one. Pray for an opportunity to build a bridge, a relational bridge that you can eventually share the gospel with. And that's what our goal is. We're not here just to enjoy life and travel around and just spend money and do the things. No, our purpose on earth, if you're a believer, is to share the gospel message, to be a light, to be an ambassador, a witness for the Lord. And so every relationship you have should have that as its goal. We don't shove it down their throat. We don't say, here, I'm here to save you. We don't start out by saying, uh, are you going to hell? It's obnoxious. And we build a bridge so we can speak the truth in love. Invite them to church. But by the time they come to church, you've already talked to them about a lot of things. Pray for one. It's, the, it's a great strategy. It's our strategy. Secondly, ask questions. And by the way, you can get the t-shirt. <clears throat> one lady came to be baptized one Sunday, and she, she, this was back in the 80s. Y'all remember the 80s? Because she had a hairdo. That's why I remember it being in the 80s. Y'all remember hairdos? You remember hairdos, Dave? You do? You remember hair? <laughs> and she asked the preacher after she got changed and ready to go in, she said, do I have to get my hair wet? Preacher said, yes. Afraid so. This is immersion all the way down. She said, but I paid 80 bucks yesterday to have it done. He said, I'm sorry. Hair all looks the same to the Lord. And doesn't that make you feel good? <laughs> Every head looks the same to the Lord. Secondly, ask questions. <clears throat> that's how Philip started the conversation. He asked a question. And that's how a lot of good, meaningful conversations get started. Whether you're a parent of a child or a husband and a wife or just a person working, before we speak, we should ask questions. We should ask questions so that we clearly understand before we're understood. Right, Covey? That's a Stephen Covey thing. Ask questions. We had Greg Kokel in here a few years ago, and he wrote a book called Tactics, a Game Plan for Discussing Your Christian Convictions. And he said there are two questions that really help you with your with sharing the, your message. One is, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? And another is, how did you come to that conclusion? So you'd be talking to someone and they say, you know what, I, I think what the governor decided or I think what the Pope said or I think, I think, that's, uh, I think that's a good thing. It's, that's what we need. Then you can, you can say, how did you come to that conclusion? And then you can start there. You always start at the point of their curiosity, the point of their need. Ask lots of questions. And uh, lastly, be ready with some answers. Not every answer, because we don't know all the answers. Some answers can't be known. And that's where our faith has to really kick in. But whether you're an atheist, an agnostic, or a Christian, or any other religion, there are some answers that just can't be answered. But I think, in light of what I'm seeing in the scientific world where a lot of scientists are coming to faith now, I think Christianity has more answers of the intellectual version 
than any other. And one of those is how can something come from nothing? Well, something didn't come from nothing. There was a God who created it. That makes more sense than this tornado blew through this junkyard and on the other side there was a Mercedes Benz. That's what they're saying. That's basically what they're saying. That's you and me. So be ready with some answers. Philip was ready with some answers. I, I think that eunuch, we don't have all the conversation. I think that eunuch had so many questions and Philip just rapid fire. He said, yeah, but this and this and this, and it all made sense. It was like a light bulb for that eunuch. He decided this, this makes sense. And who knows if you're ready with some answers, if you'll just study a little bit, if you'll just join us on this journey of our foundation's journey to shore up your faith and to dig a little bit deeper, you'll be ready for that conversation you're bound to have out there in your workplace or in your family or on the street with somebody who doesn't believe but who's searching. And statistics tell us that if you have some answers and you can invite them to a relationship or maybe to church or, or maybe to a, a, a time of questioning, they're likely to say, yes, let's meet and talk about that, especially if it's coming from someone who's loving and gentle and who's not trying to shove a Bible down their throat or hit them on the head with a King James. No, because we want to speak the truth in love. So this is how we end the year, with a mandate to go out and to pray for someone like the eunuch that you might preach Jesus. At the point of their need, you just open up and say, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about my Jesus, the one who died on the cross for you and for me. Lord God, thank you so much for this message. It is the gospel message. It is the message that everyone needs to hear. Regardless of their status in life, their checkbook, their Facebook, Lord, they need to hear the gospel. They need the message of salvation, and we are not ashamed of it. Help us to share it in 2024 like never before. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today,